0: I said, you're staying over. I called him and said, you're staying over because I want you to minister to our church. You hadn't been home since you and and Stephanie have been gone. So I want him to come and minister the gospel. Give give a great hand to our former assistant. (laughs) Love trip. Amen. A little bit loved around here, little boy. A little bit loved around here. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) A little loved around here. Amen. (laughs) And this is like a Jesus party, and I get to be here. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here, man. I am. I am like a. I'm like a kid in a candy store. It is just so neat to see everybody, and uh, it's good to be in a place where you're loved. They love us down in Baton Rouge, but we've only been around them for a couple of years, and so they haven't learned to be how. They haven't really learned how awesome that we are, like you guys fully understand. <laughs> And so y'all are ahead of the curve, and um, it's just—it's—I mean, it, it's beyond words how how glad we are to be here with you guys today. Uh, just hugging people as we were coming in, and seeing uh, not old faces, but mature faces, um, and uh, new faces, and and I'm just—I'm excited to be here. Really, really am. And and if I've never had the opportunity to meet you before, you need to meet me because I'm an amazing human being, and you'll love me for all of your years. And I'm one of the most humble persons that you'll ever meet in all of your years. No, I'll, I'll, no, just just we're we're pumped to be here. Reagan, Riley, Stephanie, my girls, my family, uh, everybody is here. And um, I'm I'm a little worried about about Riley, my youngest. She's sitting. I, I'm sensing in my spirit that she's sitting by somebody that she she should not be sitting by. It's uh, right over in this region, right over here. It's, it may or may not be a grandchild of your pastor. Um, but y'all y'all pray that uh that because she's precious. She she is precious. And and he's not. He's a boy. And if you've got daughters, say amen. <laughs> oh man, we love being here. Let me hurry up and, and, and say this and then I'll and then I'll do my best to preach to you. Um I have to I have to say a couple of a couple of quick thank yous. I have to just I, and, and I'm I'll joke again in a minute, but right now let me be serious. I'm so thankful for Pastor Rex Johnson in my life. Put your hands together. Your mindset and your heart set, Pastor, towards people and problems taught me so much. And uh, and and he's got a way with words. And and, and one of the one of the that I used to, I used to give him grief about, and y'all probably heard him, heard him say this. But whenever he was talking about sports and whatnot, he'd say, "The older I am, the better I was." And he's referring to back in the day. Whenever he was white chocolate, is that the basketball name that you were? Or, there was there was some kind of a basketball name that he was, because he was, so, <laughs> he wants to shoot me right now. <laughs> but he talks about whenever he was in his glory years he was, a, he was a great athlete and now that he is in his wisdom years you know the older he gets the better that he was and I, I used to I used to give grief to him but but I, w- I want to say something and I'm, I'm being serious the longer that I have left here the, the more time that it has expired since we've been here in Austin I realize the better that he that he really was because in every situation that we find ourselves in it's brother jay do what would brother jay do how would brother jay try to handle this situation he's left an indelible mark on my life and uh and i honor you and i i, I publicly honor you and i and i just I, I tell you thank you for all that you've done for me sweet pea your brilliance at, at handling the load of pastoring uh, taught us so much and, and and you have a way with words her way with words is anytime there was a, a birthday party and the child was like six or seven or under they would always bring a gift, and Sweet Pea would always be right over, and on every gift that would be open, she would say, Ooh, what is it? Every gift, and we would just love it, and we would just, we would just love to hear those words come out of her because she was so excited about the, the situation and what was going on, and she has a way with words. But here's the thing about, about Sweet Pea. Her, her words and her actions are straight. She, she's not one way here and another way there. What she says is what she is, and she has taught us well. And I thank you and I love you. Yeah. And real quickly to the staff, all of you get Vicki Lynn. I, I, I just want to say Vicki Lynn all the time because nobody says Vicki Lynn like I can say Vicki Lynn. I love you, Vicki Lynn, and everybody, all the staff, all the guys, Mitch and, and Brad and, and Josh and Randy, all of them, they want to be like me so bad. And I'll just tell you, boys, keep your, feet on the star, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars, as Casey Kasem used to tell us when he introduced the top 40. One final thing. You guys are already, like, zoned in because each week, Brother Isaac turns on this right here. And this right here is the acacia leaf. And so I have been subliminally working into your minds over the last couple of years since we've left, and you didn't even realize that you were a fan of acacia. And so now you know what that sticker is on his on his uh, on his uh, computer there. So, Brother Isaac, thank you for helping me infiltrate uh, and then get into the hearts and minds of people. Will you help me preach this morning? Put your hands together. Help me preach. may be seated. It's safe to say that we all love a good story, amen? We all love the introductions where they paint the characters out to be these amazing people and they're trying to do the right thing and and, and, and we like the story but here's the thing, what makes the story good is the conflict of the story. If it was just all, all daffodils and roses, you know, maybe it would be okay. But what makes the story great is when conflict comes into the situation. You've seen it. You've, you've watched the movies. Just before the credits roll, the music gets just right. And they finally save the world, or they kill the aliens, or they find the treasure. You've, you've all seen exactly those, those movies. And just before the sun sets, he kisses her and they fall in love again, because they've already been in love like 12 times in the last hour and a half. But they fall in love again, and, and there's conflict resolution. And then the puppy that was in the pet hospital, he comes kind of hobbling out like this with bandages on and a satellite around his neck. And the main character looks at everybody and says, He's well, I tell you, he's well, he's going to be just fine. And you're just, you're overwhelmed with this emotion because the story worked out good. It's, it's the setting, it's the conflict, and it's the conflict resolution that is pointing towards this thing called happily ever after. You cue the music, you roll the credits, and that is story. And we all love the power of the story, and here's the reason I think we love the power of the story, because our lives are like a story, because we're all trying to do the right thing. We're all trying to become great characters by having good character in our life, and then enter conflict. Enter a mistake made, enter sickness, enter some lack in our life, enter some major life change and then all of the energy goes into conflict resolution so we can find this place in our own life called happily ever after and if you've ever tried to find that place say amen. Amen. So here's the thing, we love the power of the story because it mirrors the power of life. We love the power of the story because the story is the story of hope that gives us hope. The story, the big story, is the story of good overcoming evil, and it has been around as long as mankind has been around. Genesis 1 and 2 is one of the most powerful stories ever told. It's a gorgeous story on on a multitude of levels. In the beginning is is, is how it rolls out. In the beginning is Genesis 1 and 1, and that's our equivalent of once upon a time. And then the snake comes in, and things get all messed up, and that's when conflict comes into the story. And then in Genesis 3 through Revelation 21, it's all pointing towards hope to where we can find some kind of conflict resolution. We all love the power of the story because it mirrors the power of our life. The story is told because it points toward happily ever after. The story is told, ladies and gentlemen, to point towards hope. I would love it if you would literally write this scripture down, today's main text, and I, I'm, I'm serious, I would love for you to follow a homework assignment, and if you would write this down, put it on your computer desktop, write it on your mirror, put it on a five by, three by five card, in every red light that you come up to over the next week, look at this one scripture, and let this scripture completely get into your spirit, Romans 15 and 13. Now, may the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he's pointing towards the power of the story, the greatest story ever told. I have a story about hope that comes from that same part of the world. Me and Stephanie, my bride, celebrating 20 years of marriage, 16 of them happy. When we were here, we went on a Mediterranean cruise to to celebrate this, this achievement in life, this milestone in life and It's beautiful, man. You talk about... I'm not real romantic, but Jack, I was romantic on that trip. We're on the back of the boat. We're in a place called the Straits of Messina. And you look off of one edge of the boat and you see Italy. You look off of one edge of the boat and you see Sicily. And it's the Strait of Messina. It's this narrow place. Now, they call it narrow, but it's a long ways between the two masses of land... And I'm just sitting there, man, and it's in a moment of utter romance and utter pure bliss. And I just think to myself, I wonder if she could swim if I pushed her off this boat right now. (laughs) Because you're married 20 years, you think all sorts of things. You don't have to say amen, I know I'm preaching. (laughs) And apparently she could see my eyes dancing and she said, what are you thinking right now? You're married 20 years, you learn to just be bold and go for it. I said, well, I was wondering if I thought you could make it if I pushed you off. And she, <laughs> and she looked at me <laughs> and kissed me. No, she didn't. She, uh, she looked at me and she said, yeah, I could swim. I said, no, you can't. Look, look how far that is. It looks like it's right there, but that's a long way over there. She said, sure, I could swim over there. And she said this, she said, as long as I can see hope, I think I can keep on swimming. And while we passionately converse about this subject from time to time, because I still, still think she's insane for saying it, the point is a wonderful one. She said, as long as I can see hope, I think I can keep on swimming. The application is obvious. As long as I can see land, I'm going to keep on trying to make it out of this ocean. As long as I can see some kind of good news on the horizon, I'm going to keep on swimming. As long as I can see hope, I'm going to keep on trying. Put your hands together for the Lord. So in Romans, Paul is writing to this church in Rome, which is at that time, Rome was the center of the known world. It was the most powerful force on earth. The Roman Empire was the center of all things political and all things military, all things in economics. That's just where it happened. And Paul is writing to this group of believers in Rome that he's been addressing up to this point. He's been talking about what it's like to put on Christ and live accordingly. And then we come again to 15 and 13, and he says, may the God of hope fill you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Another version says, May you have boundless hope. Another version says, May you overflow with confident hope. That term abound there is what I want you to latch on to. It literally means to to exceed past some fixed number or to exceed past the ability to measure, to, to go beyond what is normal. That abundantly above more than you can ask or think type of a mentality. It's going above what is just necessary. Here's the NRT version, which is the New Rush translation. May the God... Who is the God of everything? Which makes him the God of hope. May He fill you with joy and peace that is possible. All the joy and peace that is possible according to Him. Now I want you to realize what I just said because all of the joy and peace that is, a, that, is that is possible according to Him, do you realize how much He is possible of doing? He wants to fill you with everything that is possible. And may the result be you superabounding in pure hope that is originated and driven by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so here's the point that I've come to preach. No matter what you're going through, no matter the chapter of life that you're struggling with, no matter the spiritual level of anxiety and tiredness that you may be living, the God of hope wants to step into your world this morning no matter how confused you may feel, no matter how tight the pressure may be, the God of hope wants to step into your world this morning. No matter how difficult the marriage has become, no matter how bad the children's decisions might be right now, no matter what, you have hope in Jesus Christ. Let Him step into your world this morning and help you. You have hope in Him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is writing here. Let me just point this out. Paul is writing to these people in Rome. And he uses this term God of hope. Now, now Rome is like there's, there's multiple gods everywhere. There's Apollo, the god of the sun. There's Diana, the goddess of the moon. There's Mars, the god of war. There's Venus, the goddess of love. There's Saturn, the god of time. There's Vesta, the goddess of the home. Which even tells me back then that the female was in charge of decoration. So Paul is using this God of hope term and trust me, it totally got their attention because it was the God of hope. Not a God, but the God. Not only will this terminology get their attention, but it's saying that it's the God. It's not just a God. And he wants to fill you with all joy and all peace so that you may be boundless, limitless in your amount of hope that you have by none other than the power of the Holy Ghost. You can try fame. You can try money. You can try accomplishments. You can try this and that and the other. But nothing will fulfill you. Nothing will fill you. Like the power of the Holy Ghost. Whenever that concept of hope comes on your life. Nothing will fill you. Nothing will fill you. So hopelessness. Is the nemesis. Of hope. And hopelessness. Is a sickness of the soul. And as soul sicknesses go, hopelessness is among the most deadly. Hopelessness is an egalitarian disease, too, which means that it affects everyone. You don't have to be old to be hopeless, you don't have to be poor to suffer from hopelessness. Riches won't stop you from getting hopeless. It's not just for the ugly. It's not just for the pretty. It's not just for the thin. It's not just for the not so thin. It is for everybody when it sinks its claws into you. <laughs> Hopelessness is an equal opportunity employer. Hopelessness feeds you a lie and it tells you. I'm just about to preach up in this place right here. <laughs> Hopelessness tells you a lie and it tells you that your story is not worth finishing. It tells you that your life is not worth living. Hopelessness tells you that your end is not worth swimming any longer for. It tells you that there's no such thing as real hope. Hopelessness tells you, yeah, there's Hollywood type of hope. There's fake hope. There's pseudo hope. But In your world, there is no such thing as actual hope. In your little miserable life, hope is fiction. But hope is different from hopelessness. On the screen, you'll see it. Hope is much more than wishful thinking. Hope is a confident expectation about the future that causes you to behave differently in your present. Hope is a confident expectation about your future that causes you to behave differently about your present. And you must get that. When you get that, you start living according to that. And then the waves that come up against you on the right side may push you a little bit, but they're not going to get you off course. The waves that hit you from this side may push you a little bit, but they're not going to get you off course because you realize that your final destination is indeed a good destination. Hope is what happens when God's precious spirit is embedded into your life and it carries you past death and it deposits you into abundant life. And there's different types of hope too, isn't there? We say all sorts of silly things. We can say, I hope that this water is good. Ah, yes, that water was good. We can say, I hope Mac Brown writes the ship this year. I can say, I hope that um, a good movie comes out within the next couple of weeks. You can say, I hope that I get a raise. Uh, because I really need some more money. Or you can say, I hope that they find a cure for cancer. You see see what I just did there? Because we use hope all over the place. I hope the ice cream man comes by today versus I hope that we find a cure for cancer. You can't compare those two. So this hope thing, it, 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 my, my, my point is it goes in all aspects of your life. You need it in all aspects of your life. But the hope that I'm talking about this morning is a better hope. 2 Thessalonians 6, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 16 says that godly hope is a good hope. Titus 2 and 13 says that godly hope is a blessed hope. 1 Peter 1 and 3 says godly hope is a living hope. Hebrews 9 and 17 says that godly hope is a better hope ultimate hope in Jesus Christ means that death can break your heart but it cannot kill you anymore ultimate hope in Jesus means that the war to end all wars has already been fought the battle has already been won on a hill called Calvary and now history has no choice but to bow at hope's imminent victory because in Jesus Christ the end is going to be good no matter what your present is perhaps it's become cliche but this book The back of it says that we still win and I still believe that we still win. the death of Jesus Christ there was clashing and there was the surging chaos but in the resurrection of Jesus there was a seemingly catastrophic situation that was flipped upside down and ultimate and eternal victory was the unanimous result. What I'm saying is in Him, in Him not only is the now okay and not only does the now get better but in the end we win. That's what hope does for you. That's what hope does for you and it's worth holding on to. So wherever you are this morning and keep swimming. Whatever you're going through this morning, keep hoping. Keep hoping. One of the things that I love about CLC is the variety of people that's here. You have you have all sorts of people that are that are in this place. You got people who, who were knuckleheads. You got people who who were spiritual train wrecks. You had people that their lives were so messed up that they didn't know up from down and I'm one of them and you've got people who have come in here and let me just speak frankly you've never seen a bag of dope much less smoked one I'm just being honest you've got people in here who grew up with watching their parents roll joints and you've got people in here that don't talk like that in church young man I understand here's my point you're welcome at this church You're welcome at this church. You're welcome, balcony. You're welcome at this church. You're welcome at this church. So there's a lot of different ways that I can handle what I'm fixing to try to handle. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw you a curveball, and I'm not gonna talk about all of us knuckleheads who are saved by grace and we're lucky to be here. I'm going to talk about all of the other knuckleheads who just didn't take the road that we did, but they're still saved by grace and they're sitting here too. Because some of us were so bad that we're saved by grace and some of us were so religious that we're saved by grace, but we're here. So there's many stories that I can preach from in Scripture that talk about this hope. But using Paul as this anchor, I'm going to tell you a very quick version about an ancient prophet by the name of Elijah. This situation that I'm going to share with you had nothing to do with the mistake that Elijah had made. Sometimes, like this situation, we can just find ourselves in a situation that is just not our fault. We didn't do it, but we're having to live with the consequences of the mistake of someone else. And while we're not going to sing the verse of the victim, we are going to admit that sometimes life just happens and we find ourselves in a drought. Emotional, spiritual, relational, all sorts of droughts that we find ourselves in. And at this point, hope seems like it is a million miles away. You're praying for some kind of healing rain to end the drought, to change the situation, but you don't see a cloud in the sky. You don't see one ounce of hope anywhere to be found. Austin, you know this too well. The year before we moved here, I think it was 60 days of consecutive triple-digit summer weather with no rain. Water restrictions so severe that they were tasing the elderly for water. No, no, no. no. You're like, really? I didn't read that in the news. (laughs) Water restrictions. So severe, they were flying the stealth bomber to kill people that were sprinkling. No, it wasn't that bad. But you know about water restrictions. You know about drought here in this part of the country. And that is a great example for me to be able to use because you can't make it rain, but you don't stop it from raining either. You're just in the situation. You just find yourself in the matter of the events that were going on. And somebody in this place needs to realize this morning that there's hope for hope. No matter where you are. So the story goes on. Old Testament prophet by the name of Elijah. I got to hurry. We don't really know that much about his descent. We don't know that much about his birth who he really was, where he was really from, but he was a prophet. And sometimes back in that day, prophets kind of got light-footed. They started just saying the things that kings wanted people to hear, and, 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 and they would just kind of tiptoe through the tulips. They were, they were supposed to bring messages and revelations and warnings, but but sometimes their words were uplifting, and sometimes they would just crush you. But they got to where they were just kind of just uh, trying to tickle the ears of the kings, and they wouldn't say the things that needed to be said, but Elijah was not like that. Elijah was going to say it like it needed to be said. He's the ruling king. Ahab is the ruling king in this story. And he had married a, a lady by the name of Jezebel to be his wife. And here's the whole point. that This turned out to be very detrimental because she allowed idol worship to come into true worship. And that was a problem. This false worship ushered in false priests and prophets to be appointed in these areas that were around these people. And then these prophets of Baal started calling out people and starting trouble. And it was just a giant mess. You need to read the story to make sure you get it. But it was a terrible situation. God spoke to Elijah and said, go to King Ahab. And here's what I want you to tell. First Kings 17 and 1 on the screen kind of gives us the story. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbiah in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. He was delivering some devastating news that was serious. We've had serious droughts in Austin, Texas. Three years is a serious, serious drought. Forty months, three and a half years. One commentary author said it like this. Three years and six months of drought brought everything past the point of virtual extinction. The heavens were brazen and the earth was scorched and the people were blackened with excessive heat and worn with want. The people's numbers were thinned by death and what survivors remained moved around like skeletons on the edges of their graves. It was a very serious situation, you see. It was a very dire situation. It wasn't just a couple of weeks without a little shower. It was a long time of very hardcore, full-on, everything-is-suffering kind of a drought. And that's how it happens in our world sometimes because we may not have actually done the infraction that's causing what's being paid out, but we're involved in the, the, the punishment, if I can use that term. So how are we going to look at this? Let's look at the next chapter. Where does this story take us? First Kings 18, 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat, drink, for there is a sound of a heavy rain. Now, now it has not rained in a long time. You know, whenever the high pressure system hits right here and there's not a cloud in the sky and it's like 4,000 degrees outside, you just think about walking outside and you sweat. It was worse than that. It was worse than that. 42 so Ahab went off to eat and drink but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Now remember there had not been hope in the land for over three years. 43, go. He's telling his servant go and look towards the sea and he went and he looked there's nothing there. Seven times Elijah said go back Now remember, 40 months of no rain. The servant had to come back and say, dude, you don't get it. There's nothing out there. You need to put the crack pipe down and slowly back away. It's not raining, bro. It's not coming. It's not coming. Keep going back. Keep going back. Keep going back. One time, nothing. Two time, nothing. Three time, nothing. Four, five, six, nothing. Verse 44. But the seventh time. that their servant reported you know what I I, I think I do see a cloud a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising up from the sea So just try to imagine the moment, and I'm hurrying. Just try to imagine the moment, what that might have felt like, 40 months of nothing, 40 months of no hope. Perhaps worst of all, they're just full of doubt. God, you've forsaken us. It's over. We might as well just cash it in because we can't see anything. But suddenly, when the servant goes out and climbs that hill and he sees something up there, and it's not very big at first, Brother Royce, but it's just about the size of a man's hand way out there in the distance. But then it began to grow because there was a little bit of hope. And then that hope led to a little bit more hope. And then all of a sudden, the clouds started getting bigger. And they started getting just more fierce looking and ugly. And all of a sudden, it started raining. But it started with just a mere morsel of hope. uh, Just a little sprinkle of maybe that they decided to hold on to. And suddenly they see hope. Suddenly there is something to hold on to. And so I've come to tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, get your eyes up off of your problem and look to your God who is the author and the finisher of your faith and realize that He wants to give you some hope here this morning. Realize that He wants to give you some hope here this morning. Gaze upon the empty cross and remember that the tomb is empty and that even death has been defeated. So it doesn't matter what you're in, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Raise your gaze and realize that nothing, neither death nor life nor angels or demons nor anything in the present or anything in the future nor powers nor height nor debt nor anything in all of creation can separate you from the love of God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay above the waves. Keep swimming. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. So let me close with this story. In fact, if I could maybe have some help with some music. Randy, get up here and play something super emotional that's just going to crush everybody. School system in Dallas, Texas. I pray that you get what. I, if 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 you think that I'm an absolute weirdo, Cajun lunatic, and you've not listened to anything, get the story that I'm fixing to tell you. School system in Dallas, Texas had a program that would help children keep up with their work during extended stays in the hospital. And one day, a teacher who was assigned to this program received a routine call asked her to visit a particular child. She took the child's name and room number and talked briefly about the child's regu- with the child's regular class teacher. And the teacher said, we've been studying nouns and adverbs in class now, the teacher said, and would be grateful. I'd be grateful if you could just go and help him understand so he doesn't fall too far behind. Hospital program teacher went to see the boy that afternoon, but no one had remembered to mention the state that this boy was in no one remembered to tell her that his body had been badly burned and most of the people who were treating him didn't really even expect him to live upset took back at the sight of the boy initially she stammered and she told him I've been sent by your school to help you with nouns and adverbs and when she left she felt like she had not accomplished anything at all but the next day a nurse asked her What did you do to that boy? The teacher felt like she must have done something wrong and she began to apologize. She said, no, 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 you don't understand. This is the nurse talking. You don't know what I mean. We've all been worried about this little boy. Didn't even think he was going to live. But ever since yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back. He's responding to the medication. It's as though he's decided to live. (laughs) Two weeks later, the little boy explained he had completely given up on his hopes of life and everything that it might bring until that day that the teacher arrived. Everything changed whenever he came to a simple realization. He said something extraordinary. He said, it just dawned on me. They wouldn't send me a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy now, would they? know me really well I don't, I, don't, I don't play really spiritual cards without caution but I'm going to tell you in the Holy Ghost I have been sent here to tell you God's not going to send an old Cajun boy from Louisiana to preach to a dying congregation I didn't bring a word of hope for someone who's dying here today I didn't bring a word of hope for somebody who's going through a difficult job situation. I didn't come here with a word of hope. It's not going to affect you. It's not going to help you. It's not going to encourage you. And it's not going to anoint you. And it's not going to strengthen you to allow you to get up and look toward Jesus and say, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Stand with me. Everybody stand with me. prayer partners can come and let's just spend a couple of seconds down here and I'm going to open up this altar for anybody who may be going through anything in your world right now any kind of a situation where you made the mistake and you're still dealing with it and it's like a drought this altar is open for you to find the hope that you're looking for or if you had nothing to do with it but you're just dealing with the consequences of it and you feel like you're just about to shrivel up and dry up, dry up on the inside, because you're just there's such a lack, there's such a want, there's such a desperation in your heart. I'm telling you this morning in this altar, the Lord Jesus Christ can do more in about two minutes in your life than we could ever do in all of our lifetime. So why don't you respond? Why don't you come down here? Why don't you... And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.